suffering in ways that, quite honestly, I personally can be uncomfortable with. It talks about suffering in a way that it, it, it says that we are going to suffer, and I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't know about you, but it's not like suffering is something that I pursue. I don't wake up in the morning. That's not my why. Now, I don't know many people that would identify that suffering is something that they enjoy. Most of us will work very hard to avoid suffering. Not only that, I, I bet if we were to go through the room and we were to poll everybody that was gathered here today, we would discover that there are multiple views on what actually constitutes suffering. So that can just add this layer of confusion to it, can't it? It can, it can make it to where it's like, well, you think of that as suffering, I just call that life, right? And, and so there can, conversations can become very confused at different times, and we almost walk away relationally talking with one another as if something doesn't make sense, something doesn't quite fit in the way that we think about suffering. And so we not only try to avoid it in terms of our lives, but we try to avoid it in terms of conversation. Many of us think about, well, if you're talking about those things, you're going to bring those things upon yourself, and so don't talk about those things. Don't bring that bad juju in my house. You're trying to look at it as if it's something that we don't talk about that so that it doesn't enter our door. And yet God's Word richly provides for us, equipping us, making us ready for something that Christ says in this life we, as his followers, will face. I just want that to, to sink in for a moment. Because I want to make sure that we are ready to receive from God's word. Not only that, I, I don't want us to compartmentalize the work of the Holy Spirit. See, I believe today the Holy Spirit still has something to speak to us. Not just through God's word, but, but through ministry at the close as well. We have a baptism coming up. I'm so excited to rejoice in that. We have so much that God is still going to do in this meeting. So church, let's not compartmentalize what he wants to do and say, well, the singing's over, so the spirit must be done moving. No, that's not true. That's not the way the Lord works. He provides in so many different ways for his people. So church, let's, let's be ready for that. Because we, we may look at suffering and realize that the world is unclear about it, but God's word is not. He equips us for those trials or hardships. He makes us ready for that hostility that we may face in the workplace. He makes us ready for the opposition that we may face in our own families. He says, in the middle of all of that, I am with you. Isn't that kind? Before he gets into suffering at all. First, Peter wants to actually equip the saints with something that's far more foundational. And he writes them a letter and he begins it by talking about their identity. He talks about who they are in Jesus Christ. He wants to remind them before he says anything about suffering, before he says anything about personal holiness, before he says anything about what we are called to as followers of Jesus Christ, he wants to make sure that we know who we are in Jesus Christ first and foremost. And he starts his letter in that way. Now, I don't know about mail time at your house, but mail at our house has been changing lately. It used to be that when my kids got a piece of mail with their name on it, that was the day of all days. You experienced this? The letter came in for one of your kids, and they're just excited. And for my boys, they're getting a bit older, and so those letters are now turning into something else. Bills. 
And you know what? Mail's not fun anymore, is it? Mail's not fun anymore because there's this claim that that's making on you. And so we actually have this, this phrase with our, our, our uh, postal worker, the, the lady that brings our mail. She actually will say to us, it's a good mail day. <laughs> what does a good mail day mean? No bills. That's a good mail day. All it is is that penny saver or whatever else it is that's coming in there. We're probably just going to end up throwing it away. That's a good mail day. A good mail day. And my boys are also experiencing this. They're beginning to receive wedding invitations to classmates. That's new. No pressure, right? No pressure. Mail is changing in our house. Perhaps you've walked through a season like that as well. But what happens when you receive a letter? Well, it's addressed to someone. It says who it is that that bill or that correspondence is for. And First Peter starts there. Let's read together in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I don't think that the United States Postal Service would know what to do if I wrote that on the front of an envelope today and slapped a stamp on it. Do you? How many of us don't know how to read that either? How many of us don't know how to read that either? See, those two verses, they're, they're chock full of deep theological truths. Not about Peter, about you and me. Deep theological truths about who God is and how it is that he works. Deep theological truths about what we are called to, no matter where we are or the time that we are there. Think about it this way. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you just flip over a few verses, chapter 2, verse 21, Peter actually gives us the reason for writing. 1 Peter 2, 21 says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. What's the purpose of Peter writing this letter? So that you and I can walk as if Christ did. How many of us have that desire in our heart that we say, I, I just, I want to model Jesus in this moment. I want to model Jesus to my friend or my family member. I, I want to, in my workplace, I want to live as if it was Jesus that was living through me. And Peter says, that's why I wrote this to you. I actually want you to be equipped to be able to do that as well. And so we realize that where we might just casually observe what seems like the addressing of a letter there is no word in Scripture wasted for us as His people. It's written to us that we might be prepared and we might be able to connect to the source of our salvation, the very source of our identity in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what translation that you're reading out of. We read out of the ESV, so that uses the term elect exiles. Some others will say chosen exiles. Others will say elect sojourners or strangers who are scattered. What's the point of what's happening here? Well, it seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? If we break these words down, it would say, to those who are chosen but rejected. Church. I don't know a better identity in this world 
than chosen, but rejected. I'll be honest with you. In my own life, the temptation is to be chosen by the world rather than rejected by it. And, and I'm, I'm making the assumption that I'm not alone in that temptation. How often do we just say, I just want them to accept this part of me. And so we hide so many others. Or we alter the truth about others. How often do we give in to this temptation of trading being chosen by the one who is holy and sits on his throne of mercy and sends his son to die to redeem us, empowering us by his Holy Spirit, securing our salvation through his work in our lives. How often are we tempted to trade him for the world around us? Peter kind of comes out swinging, doesn't he? Right at who we are, at the core of who we are. Choose who you will be chosen by. It's, it's already an affront to us, isn't it? I feel it. As I've been studying, it's, it's been a wrestling match for me this week. Where are those areas that I am tempted to reject the one who chose me? See, when you say it out loud that, like that, it just sounds gross, doesn't it? Who would admit that? And yet, how many of us live that way? That we reject the one who chose church this aspect of our identity in jesus christ this wonderful truth of his salvation for us has to be at the very core of who we are it has to be something that we not only grapple with but begin to grasp so that we can begin to live for his glory we are chosen but rejected our identification with christ will make us strangers in this world who else gets up early on a Sunday morning to get together with people and sing? That is alien to the world around us. And that glorifies God. Who else would choose to go to somebody that you may not have known that raised their hand in prayer this morning and say, I will pray for you, brother, or I will pray for you, sister. I don't know what's going on, but I am here with you and I will pray for you. That is foreign to the world around us today. See, we love to talk about being there for one another and affirming one another and all these other types of things. And yet when it comes down to it, who's going to actually take that step towards somebody else? That's what happened this morning. That is foreign to the world around us. They love to talk a big game. But you see, we live under a new moral standard not a standard that's been created by the world, not the standard that is ever shifting in the world around us. We live under a standard that God in his divine grace and mercy and in his divine power has laid out for us to live in the good of. And those boundary lines, as David says in the Psalms, they are pleasant places for us. They are good for us. We live our lives now under a divinely revealed moral standard 
Oftentimes the world around us is going to live under moral standards that in, later on in the letter in chapter 4 verse 3 that Peter's going to identify as sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. It's almost as if Peter's been reading the headlines of today, isn't it? And this is where it's very easy for us to make a disconnect from what the world was actually like in Scripture. You see, when we read these places in verse, in verse 1 where it says that it's to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, it's easy for us to just say, well, okay, where were they scattered? Okay, that's just where all this letter went. Actually, what that probably identifies is, it probably identifies the route that the courier took to take this letter or this sermon. But he's writing to people who are under Roman rule. So it can be easy for us to say, well, you know, Peter really wasn't talking to like the political environment that we live in today, so he really didn't understand. Nero was emperor and Caesar of Rome at this time. Roman candles were Christians being burned. Let's not kind of sanitize history when it comes to Scripture. Modern day, we would call these places Turkey. But we're reminded that Scripture tells us about God intervening in a real place, in a real time in our history. This is truth. And let's not sanitize history to the point that we think, well, Peter just wouldn't understand today how this works. So I think if he was here today, he might say it this way. No, no, see what we're doing there is we're adding our own moral standard of the day to the moral standard already revealed to us in Scripture. Church, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Let's be aware of that being a scheme of the enemy to destroy the church, to destroy your faith. More than that, to diminish the good that God has for us. According, verse 2 goes on to say, according to the foreknowledge of God our Father. God chooses His people. In the Old Testament, we saw this with the nation of Israel. What was attractive about Israel? Nothing. What's attractive about me or you? Nothing. And yet God divinely chooses. He saw through the corridor of times, freely choosing who to set His covenant love on. Before the creation of the world, he foreordained those that he foreknew and that would come to salvation at the appointed time. That's what we're celebrating in baptism today. There was a time and a place that God said, you will be claimed as mine. For some of you, is that today? For others, is today a good day to remember that day? Is today a good day to remember the day that God claimed you as his own? How often do we just begin to kind of throw our spiritual lives into neutral once we come to saving faith? We say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from hell. Now what? What Scripture reveals is there is a lot of rich and deep and beautiful life that He has for us in the in-between. How many of us so easily forget Not only the joy of our salvation, but that we forget that we have been called to something that is rich and deep and beautiful. It's so far beyond anything that we can do in and of ourselves. And we are so desperate for the grace of God. 
We are so desperate for the mercy of God as we are reminded regularly that sin does remain, but it no longer reigns in our lives. As we need the grace of God to step out in boldness in the gifts that He's given to us, to live for His glory. There's so much that we have been called to, but it kind of begins to face, we begin to face a very crucial question when it comes to our faith. Do we exist for God or does God exist for us? I bet your prayers reveal the answer to this. Here's what I mean. Do you pray in the moments where you don't need anything from God? See, your prayers will reveal the answer to this question. Does God exist for me or do I exist for God? That's going to be critical for us to understand. God's word reveals that we exist for his glory. And in those moments where we get that, that question backwards, when we treat God as if he exists for us, there is a resistance that comes into the Christian life. I don't know anybody here today that would say, I actually showed up so that I could understand how to be better resisted by God. I don't think anybody sitting in here has that heart or that that mindset. Even the world wouldn't necessarily have that mindset. What happens when there's some kind of tragedy? People pray. They seek the assistance of a higher being. We exist for Him. Let's not get that order out of order why does it matter that we know the answer to that well because for the original audience it's going to remind them in asia minor in turkey in these different nations it's going to remind them that their suffering that they walk through means that they have not been forgotten by god here's a huge revelation church that's the same message to us today how, how often are we tempted to forget? When we begin to face something, we, when we begin to face some kind of trial, well, I didn't have devotions this morning. God's forgotten me. I'm sorry. He thought about you before the beginning of time. He has not forgotten you today. church let's be a church that thinks deeply about our faith let's not just give it a passing glancing thought on sunday mornings because i would imagine that was immensely comforting for so many of you to hear this morning and do you know when that matters to me that you know that it's on that middle of the night when you're awake in your bed and you're not sure And none of the people that are around you right now are with you in that moment. Do you know who is? Jesus. Do you know who is? The Holy Spirit. Do you know who is? God the Father. Now you may say, why why do you name them separately like that? Well, Peter does. Peter shows us that it is through the Trinity that God works amongst his people. He reveals something about how it is that God works, that the Father is the one who elects or chooses a people for salvation, that it is the Son who accomplishes their salvation through His life, His death, His resurrection, and His ascension. And it is the Spirit that applies that salvation to all who believe in the gospel. 
Praise God for the Trinity. We are not left wanting in our faith for a comprehensive provision for all that we might need. See, when we think about this, when we reflect on this, when we give time to ponder, it should humble us. It should remind us of who we are. Not just that we're not worthy, but that for some reason we're His. See, if your thoughts stop at I'm not worthy, you're not thinking deeply enough about it. And, and I mean that in love. If your thought stops at I'm not worthy, you're not thinking deeply enough about it because you're His. Your worth now is because of His life and death and resurrection, not yours. See, for us to add anything like that in would be to say that there's something I have to do to accomplish the good work that Jesus freely provides for me. And that is not what Scripture shows us it reminds us of who we are and more than that it fuels our evangelism it fuels the mission that we're called to it fuels this life in the spirit that we have the privilege to live so how do we respond to that how do we respond to that well peter ends this verse by saying may grace and peace be multiplied to you now that sounds like a benediction doesn't it sounds like one of those things that we might say at the end of the service and may god bless you as you leave I love you all. Now get out. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. How many of you could use grace and peace multiplied to you? I could. I had this situation a couple weeks ago. It's still ongoing, to be candid with you. Had a car, it went in the shop. Grace and peace be multiplied to me. But it gets better. We were away on our retreat as a leadership team, and car goes into the shop, Alec was able to pick it up. I get a phone call from him, stranded in the median on 436. Every parent's dream. That sounds great. Oh, it's rush hour? Good, that's even better. That's a good life experience for him. I'm grateful not to be in the middle of the median sweating in, in the sweltering heat of August. Lord, thank you that Alec was available for this. <laughs> that happened the afternoon that we had picked it up from the shop. After a $500 repair, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Company comes, tows the car back to the shop. Get a call the next day, needs a new engine. We're going exponential now, okay? We're going exponential, so now I'm starting to do dad math. Is that car worth it? You know those moments? The ones that last about four years for some reason? Is that car worth it? Well, we did it last time. And it's lasted us this long, so it'll last us that much long. Dad math, right? I hate it. New engine. Cool. No thank you. Went by the shop to talk to the mechanic about it. We got to work out the details of getting it to our house, all this kind of stuff. Find out as I get to there that they have backed a tow truck into this now dilapidated vehicle. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Church, I still don't know what to do with this car. But I know what this car is doing to me. It's revealing that I need grace and peace multiplied to me. 
Alec, my son, asked me, he said, what are you going to do with this one? I just smiled. I, I did. I smiled. I laughed. I said, Alec, it's getting comical now. God's messing with me. And I don't mean that to sound fatalistic. I mean that to remind myself not to give in to this moment of what the heck is going on. I can't be the only one that has that moment. But he said, what are you going to do, Dad? And I said, son, that's a tomorrow's grace question. (laughs) Because I barely have the grace to hear this today. Grace and peace multiplied to you looks like every day, those being new every morning. That's what Scripture says. Grace and peace multiplied to you. How many of us need that? Maybe it's not a car. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's every time you go to the doctor, it seems like there's a new doctor and a new bill and a new person for you to go to and a new specialist, but they needed the test from the old specialist and they need this new test that only happens up in Jacksonville and they need this new test that only goes down in Miami. Grace and peace multiplied to you. We face those moments in life, don't we, where we need grace and peace multiplied to us. How about that job situation that you're walking through where it's paying the bills but only sort of? Grace and peace multiplied to you. What does it remind us of? The unending provision of God our Father. Grace and peace be multiplied. How might we respond? Well, let's continue to read together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, that's undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How do we respond to this benefit and guarantee of salvation? With praise. Blessed be literally means to speak a good word about. In churches today, we might say testify about what God has done in your life. Testify of his goodness. Tell us of the goodness. Now, we don't tend to do popcorn services here. We're not proposing that as a way that we begin to have our gatherings, but I've been in a few of those over the years, and people would just begin to pop up and praise about what it is that God has done in their lives. Every once in a while, you'd hear a pop-up confession. On occasion, you'd hear some pop-up gossip. But what Peter is telling us we should be popping up and doing all the time is saying a good word about the good work of our good God. Do you have that word in your heart today? If you've got to think about it, that's fine. Think about it. Blessed be. Today we actually use this word in a different way. Eulogize. I don't like that one. I don't like that one. I've always wondered, what would it be like to hear your own eulogy? But see what... Peter is saying is, say a good word about a living hope. Don't say a good word about the dead. 
Say a good word about the living hope that you have. Say a good word about that because he is the one that has brought you into this new birth. You have been born again. How did that happen? Because of his great mercy. Did you deserve punishment? Yes. What have you received? New birth instead. Did you deserve his kindness? No. What did you receive? His kindness and his mercy. And he's saying, tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about it. Testify. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does that matter? Well, because God is the Father of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the one who has secured our salvation, as we just saw in the opening verses. But we have been born again into what? A living hope. What a cheap word hope has become in this world. We might say it like this. I hope we get pizza for lunch. That cheapens that word. I hope Chris finishes sooner now that he's talking about lunch. (laughs) Don't cheapen hope like that. (laughs) No rush, that's right, don't rush. I don't have that, anyway. We cheapen hope, but Peter doesn't cheapen hope. He actually modifies it. What kind of hope do we have? Living hope active hope breathing hope it's a certainty to come this service will end you could get pizza i don't know but we have a savior you have a savior have you received that salvation Have you gotten to the place where you say, yes, I need a Savior. I cannot accomplish this life on my own. I need someone outside of my life. What a humble admission. What a moment of vulnerability, isn't it? I recognize that. I've been there. So many in the room sitting around you have been there as well. You, too, can be born again into a living hope. How how does that living hope live? Peter goes on to say, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our church family is mourning this week the loss of a great friend, Jerry. Jerry's happy. Jerry Corbett is happier than he's ever been in this life. I don't know that I ever met a happier man. Did you? Jerry's who I want to grow up and be someday when I'm old. My daughter saw a picture of him at the house as we were talking about what the family's going through this week and her new school, uh, Jerry's son, is the facilities manager there so I just said hey if you see Kenny see Kenny Corbett around the school just say hello to him tell him our family's praying for him I talked to Shirley yesterday you know what she told me I know where he is Chris Shirley's living in the good of a living hope 
It's when those, it's when those moments matter, isn't it? When eternity all of a sudden seems like it's right here. We need a living hope. Secured through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. See, death remains for so many of us as what seems like the, the last question mark of our life. Doesn't it? Death seems to just linger and loom there as this last question mark over our life and yet it's not a question mark for Jesus because he has overcome death he has overcome the grave and that's the living hope that we're invited into amazing church simply amazing but not only is one of the benefits or the blessings of our uh, salvation and new identity in Jesus Christ this living hope that we have, there is an inheritance as well. There's an inheritance that's ready for us. I believe the year was 1949 and a gentleman by the name of Mr. Worm was walking the beaches in San Francisco. Perhaps you've heard this story before. He came across a bottle that washed up on the shore. And in it, the note read this. To avoid confusion... I've left my entire estate to the lucky person who finds this bottle and to my attorney, Barry Cohen, share and share alike. Now, according to the records from the courts, 12 years earlier, that bottle had been thrown into the Thames River in London. But the signature on that bottle was from Daisy Singer Alexander. She was the heiress to the Singer sewing machine, Fortune. Mr. Worm that day in 1949 was broke. He was out of a job. He was walking alone on the beach, and then he comes across this bottle. I don't know what the day-to-day -day equivalent is, but in 1949, that simple note and that simple find on the beach netted him a $6 million net worth. I'm going to go walk the beach this afternoon to see if I can pay for a car repair. <laughs> How many of us put our hopes in a beach walk or the lottery? Well, of course, we don't ever play it till it gets over $750 billion for tax purposes. Yeah, those laughs actually are revealing, y'all. I just want you to know. You know that $6 million? It could be gone in an instant, too. It'll eventually spend out. Riches will fade. Inheritance will be spent and gone through. But what 1 Peter 1, 4 tells us is that the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ is imperishable. Think about that for a moment. Don't think about your inheritance. Not in this earth. Think about your inheritance in Jesus Christ. It's imperishable. Why? Because he has overcome death in the grave. It is undefiled. There's nothing about this world that has wriggled its way into this inheritance. 
No, we actually reject the things of the world so that it remains undefiled and it is unfading. The most beautiful of gemstones, of fine metals, will fade or tarnish or patina. And yet your inheritance in Jesus Christ does none of those things. There is nothing that time will do to it. There is nothing that will cause it to fade or spend away. Because it's being kept in heaven for you. It's being kept in heaven for you. You know, when I read verses like this, my mind begins to go to not just the work of the Holy Spirit where he keeps and guards our salvation and our inheritance. Oh, what a beautiful truth. I think about verses like in Philippians chapter 4 where it says that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will do what? It will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We have a living hope, an active hope. That hope is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit and it is doing something with the deposit of the good news that we read in Scripture. It is guarding it and it is keeping it in heaven for us. That's not so that we can't access it. It's so that it remains secure. It's so that it remains in a place where it is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. By God's power, you and I are being guarded, verse 5, through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What a wonderful truth. How is it that God guards us? Well, there's a great threat to what God is guarding us from, and that threat to perseverance is unbelief. That threat to our perseverance is is what if I lose faith? And what First Peter is here to tell you today is, I don't care if this is day one of your salvation or day 100,000 of your salvation. I don't think mathematically that's actually possible, but stay with me. That salvation is secure. To the believer here today who is struggling in the midst of this, what is often called the glorious, mundane of the Christian life, can I assure you of this, you are not losing your salvation because you're walking through normal life. When you face trial, when you face hardship, when you face opposition, when you face those moments where there's hostility towards you, you will not lose your salvation because Jesus Christ will never lose you. And so if you're here today and you're saying, Chris, I don't know if I will make it. Let me assure you of this. It's not up to you to make it because it's up to Christ to see you through. What he has claimed as his own, he will secure until the day that you are with him forever. If you're here today and you're at a season of life where you are saying, I don't know what I can do. Can I tell you, let's do what we sang in worship earlier and cast yourself on the altar over and over again and meet the faithfulness of God that's been faithful to you in the past and will continue to be faithful to you in the future. That's what Peter would want you to do. That's what I am calling you to do as a pastor in this church. Cast yourself 
on the mercy of God and see His faithfulness to you because there will be a time that salvation will be revealed in perfect beauty. Believer, friend, church, you were not made for this world. Don't live as if you were. We're going to see at the end of 1 Peter in chapter 5, Peter says that he is living in Babylon. And I don't know about you, but for me, that, that makes me think back to our series in the book of Daniel and the things that even in the midst of the dispersion of the people of God as they were in Babylon. They were in Babylon, but they never let Babylon into them. Church, that call remains for us today. Be in this world, but don't let this world be in you. Be in this world as a witness, ready to testify, ready to say, blessed be. Knowing that you are secure, knowing that Christ is with you. But don't let this world into you. And know that by his power that God guards our faith so that no hostility, no trial, no suffering we may face is going to cause us to lose it. See, this is the glorious promise for every Christian. The God who gave us saving faith as a gift will also sustain and even strengthen your faith during suffering until that day when we receive the imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. See, God knows what threatens your faith. Let him guard you during those trials so that your faith is sustained, not through your strength, but by his power. Church, can we stand together and sing?